if you have your Bibles with you, um, we'll look at Psalm 19 together. <clears throat> What's really interesting about Psalm 90 is um, once you open it, if you look right at the start, it gives you the, the author, the psalmist. And um, it says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Now, Moses, as many of you will know, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. And these are the, the first books. So he's the most ancient of scripture writers, which means that this psalm is the first psalm ever written. Um, technically, it's Psalm 1, but we'll call it 90 uh, this morning. It's pretty amazing that Moses wrote this one. And this is the only one here. You find a couple of songs that he wrote. If you look at uh, those first, first five books, you can see some other wonderful poetry from him. But here is a, a pretty sobering psalm. And um, it really sounds like Isaiah 40 to me, which is why we did that extended reading at the beginning. And this psalm particularly um, fits home for me. In the last two weeks, I've been to two funerals. And um, I've had news that one of my uncles looks like he, he'll be coming to an end soon as well. So there may be three in, in three weeks that I'll be going to. And it's at funerals, you know, this event when people have passed away, that a lot of people who go to the funeral start to reflect on life. And it's strange um, that you think when you go to a funeral, it's, it's there that people start actually taking life a little bit seriously. And sometimes it's only short-lived, and we only think about how serious life is when someone passes away. But it often takes a big, huge event for us to start thinking about what life is about, its meaning, its purpose, and how we can best spend our lives. Now, Moses, he'd been to a lot more funerals than I could ever imagine. Moses was part of the generation that came out of Egypt, out of slavery. And for 40 years, they wandered around this desert. And as a result of their disobedience and their stiff necks and, and their hard-heartedness, the generation that came out of Egypt suffered a huge consequence. And the consequence was that none of them would enter the promised land that God was leading his people to. So basically, a whole generation, Moses' generation, passed away in the wilderness over those 40 years, including Moses himself. And so Moses would have been to funeral after funeral after funeral, just thousands upon thousands of them. He saw a whole generation just go. And so here is a, a psalm where you can see Moses has life and death in mind. And he has the, this um, importance, this, this urgency for us to understand as we reflect on the psalm, how important life is and what we ought to be doing with our lives. So follow along with me. I'll read it and then we can start thinking about some meditations. Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, forever you have formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight, but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, 
In the evening, it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass, pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet this span is but toil and trouble. They are gone soon, they are soon gone. And we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. We pray for you. Lord, help us as we consider Psalm 19, and as we get a glimpse into the life of Moses. Help us to think seriously about life and about death. Help us to think seriously about you, the eternal one, and how fleeting life is. Help us, Lord, to be led to your mercy, to your grace, in Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. Amen. In the first uh, couple of verses, I want to point out something really special and really important. Um, as I said, they've come out of Egypt and now they're in the wilderness for 40 years and they're living like a nomadic life. And perhaps a lot of people are suffering from that after the floods. Um, they have nowhere to sleep, nowhere to stay. They're just moving from place to place or from school hall to community hall because they have nowhere to stay. And they've just entered into this nomadic lifestyle. And there's a sensation of um, homelessness or, or homesickness that many people are probably feeling. For the, for the Israelites, after they left Egypt, they're living this sort of lifestyle, just moving from mountain to mountain, desert to desert, sand dune to sand dune, um, with no permanent place of re residence. For 40 years, they're just wandering around from place to place. And there's this sensation probably with them of homelessness. They don't have a place to stay. In fact, they murmur. Remember when we had that permanent residence over in Egypt and we got to, you know, do this thing and that thing and we had food and stuff like that. They start complaining um, because they're just wandering around and with this feeling of no home. There's this promised land ahead of them that they're being led to and their eyes are supposed to be set towards this promised land, this permanent residence for them where they're going to stay. Um, but in the end, they keep on murmuring. But look at these first two verses. Moses says something truly important in verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And right there, he speaks this truth that we have to grasp. If you are in Christ, um, you, you see even in that title that, that is used in the New Testament, in Christ, he is your dwelling place. God is their dwelling place. God is to be their permanent residence. This is their spiritual home where they are to belong forever and ever. And this is in contrast to 
their current conditions as being homeless people. So most of them are saying here, it doesn't matter whether I'm, an, I'm a shepherd at the Wapops, my permanent place of residence, my dwelling place, my home is in the Lord God. Most of them are saying it doesn't matter whether I'm wandering around the desert in the wilderness for 40 years, my permanent home, the place where I stay, is in God. And even more important to that, even this wonderful place that is a crocodile river, where there is a land flowing with milk and honey, even when we're there, even that is not permanent. Even that does not last forever. No, my permanent residence, the one that will last forever, where I will be forever, is in the Lord. And that's terribly important for the Christian today to understand. And so if you are a believer here this morning, there is a reflection. Is this true of you? Do you feel at home? Do you feel that your permanent place of residence is with God and in him? Do you feel that being in Christ, abiding in him, and he in you, do you feel that that is your permanent place of residence, an unshakable thing that no one else can disrupt or interrupt, where no flood can reach, where no rocks can reach, where no moth can reach, where no government can reach? Is this your home? Do you find your home here in God? Moses goes on to even just boost how wonderful this truth is in verse 2. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, forever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses turns his attention onto his dwelling place, and he identifies some specific things about this dwelling place of his, of, of this God of his. And he says about God, you are from everlasting to everlasting. Now, in Revelation, we, we might say he is the Alpha and the Omega, the, the beginning and the end. But really, the, the English language can't really capture what we're talking about. He is from, from forever to forever. There is really no beginning and no end, which is something that is outside of our comprehension. So most of the saying that God lives outside of time. Time and, and space, everything that we see in the created order comes from God, and he lives Outside of it. What Moses is doing is he's separating God from us. He's saying, you are not, not like us. You are absolutely different from us and that you are the creator and you fit in this category all by yourself. There is no one else in that category. And then there is this other category of created beings. And we fit in that with everything else that is created. Trees, um, the ants, any animal that you can think of. We have more in common with them than we do with God because God is outside of his creation. And this is just a huge view of God that Moses has and that we ought to have. He looks at God and he thinks, you are the eternal one. And he bases his confidence and his comfort in finding a home in God and that God is eternal. Now, why is that important? Well, I'm pretty sure that no one here lives in the house that they went to when they were born. We move from house to house, from place to place. In fact, some of the houses that we probably lived in before, they're demolished and gone. New subdivisions have gone up. Places are, are temporary. They're terribly temporary, short-lived, and they don't last forever. And so when Moses says, you are from everlasting to everlasting, and you're my dwelling place, he's saying, if I'm with you, there is no room for demolition. There is no, no room for rot or rust or decay, if I am with you, 
my dwelling place cannot be harmed or interfered with if my dwelling place is you. And so he's saying, the fact that you are an eternal God only boosts, only lifts this idea of you being my dwelling place up higher into a higher level. And that's so important. God is not a person who was made with human hands, and his dwelling place is not something that has been fashioned by men. Therefore, it can never be destroyed. It can never be disrupted. It can never be thrown away or, or, or decay or rot. So there is this permanent, wonderful, glorious truth in verse 1 and 2. I spent a lot of time there already, um, and I won't spend too much time on the psalm. I'll leave some of it for you to go home and study. Um, but there you go. There's this comfort in the eternality of God in verse 1 and 2. Now, Moses changes gears. If you look at verse 3 to verse 6, he's just said this wonderful truth. Now he says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of men. And before we make the mistake of looking, that, looking at that and saying, return, O children of men, and thinking this is a call for people to come back. No, this is a call for people to die. This is God. Um, reinforcing what Moses has already written down in Genesis 3. You might remember that in Genesis 3, um, there was something called the fall, and it is where Adam and Eve committed sin, and God gave the first curse. The first curse ever given was given by God. And a part of that first curse was he said to Adam, from dust you came, and to dust you will return. And so when we look at this verse, after Moses has just said this wonderful thing about God being his dwelling place, he sort of changes pace and he says, you return man to dust. Emphasis on the you return man to dust. You. It is God who decides when man turns to dust. God decided the, the time when he would make man out of dust, and he decides the time when he will make dust out of man. He decides the rising and the falling. He decides the birth and the death of every person. And uh, those last two funerals that I've been to, there were sicknesses. And, and we don't think 10 years ago, oh, this person in 10 years from now, they're going to pass away. No, it's, it's often a shock. We often think of accidents happening, and no one accounted for what was going to happen. No one knew that it was going to happen. But that is not the same thing for God. God knows the very beginning, the first breath, and he knows the very last breath. In fact, it says here that he returns man to dust. He even says to them, return, O children of man. Return to the dust. This is a consequence. And Moses is giving the consequence before he gives the cause. We'll look at the cause shortly. But if you look at verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight, about as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. There is a, a direct comparison between how eternal God is and how temporary it is. Moses is making the point here that our lives are short-lived. Not only are they decided by God, the boundaries of our life, but now he's pointing out that they are short, that as soon as we start living, we start dying. And as well as that, he's saying that there is a sleepiness around the life that we live. It is like a dream. And in different versions, you, you see that it's, it's like there, there is a sleep going on. There is a fog going on. People live a dying life. People live a sleeping life where they are unaware of these 
great truths. And it is a very short life. And you do not have much time to figure these things out. You do not have much time to figure out that as soon as you are born, you start dying. You do not have time, much time to figure out that when you are alive, you've got to wake up. That life is like a, a dream, a sleep, a fog. And we have to be snapped out of that as soon as possible. And the reason that this condition is now true of men and women around the world, that they will return to the dust, that death is a consequence, is if you look at verse 7 down to verse 10, we find the cause that has led to the consequence that we've just read. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a silent. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. We are gone soon and we fly away. We see that there is this overwhelming sense of God's wrath, this unstoppable flood that will come and sweep everything away. And the reason that the wrath of God is upon men and women and, we, and now there's a consequence of death and returning to dust is that there is this reality of sin. And we see that there when he says, <clears throat> you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Now what this is conveying to us is that sin has led to God, his wrath being kindled. And as a consequence of him being just and holy and us being sinful, there has to be a consequence, which is death. And we see that all through the Bible, the wages of sin is death. We see that the consequence of living a life contrary to God is death and death eternal. Not only is that the case, but we have no chance in hiding our sin. It says that even our secret sins are, are there, just right in front of the face. He can see every single one, obviously. And um, I'll, I'll give you the illustration of a child my boy, when he tries to hide something, sometimes he tries to hide something that's too big, hides it behind his back, and I can see the thing. And it's he comes and he says, I don't have anything. And I can see it right there. It is just plain and obvious to me. Well, multiply that by a million. God even knows the sin that you don't even know you're holding behind your back. Every sin that you are even unaware of that you don't know you're committing. He knows every single one of them, including the ones that you can keep hidden from everyone else in this room. God knows every single one. And they are right in front of his face. In his presence, he can see them. He knows them in great detail. So there you go. There is this consequence. And we now just look at the cause. Now, knowing all of this um, is actually even hard to get to on its own. A lot of people, even if you told them the beginning of Psalm, the first half of Psalm 19, it wouldn't even register. We need God's wisdom, we need his light, we need his guidance, we need his teaching to even have any of this hit home for us. Now what I've outlined this morning is, is generally called the law, that there is um, a law that God has, we have broken that law, and now there is consequence. And how do we ever get led to from the law to now understand the gospel. Well, we need verse 11 and verse 12. Look at verse 11 um, just quickly. 
It says there, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Now, Moses is answering the question himself. It's a rhetorical question, but he is insisting that the answer is going to be a no. No one. No one understands. No one knows. No one can properly understand you. And so basically what he's saying is no one can actually comprehend how we are sleepy, how life is a dying life, and how we are, are turned away from them. And, and actually the consequence that comes with all of that and the wrath and the sin that is all around us. No one can know that on their own. So verse 12 is necessary. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Now, in that verse, there is a sense of urgency about life. We don't live forever. And we ought to know that very well. Go to a funeral. And it becomes very obvious that the themes are life is short. And this is not forever. We have to understand that. And it's not, not enough just to understand that. We need to understand that it's our life that will be over soon. And we must answer to God for our iniquity and our sin. <clears throat> so that verse is necessary. It, it is a verse that tells us that every moment of our lives is important. We have to spend it in the, the most valuable way that we can. Now, let me ask you this question. After church, what is the best way that you can waste time? Have a think about it. If you wanted to waste your time this afternoon, if you want to waste your time tomorrow, what would you do to waste your time? And now ask yourself, were you doing that yesterday? Were you doing that on Friday or throughout the week? Are you doing things in your life that, that really are just a waste of time that, that do not lead you to God and do not lead other people to God? And I'm not saying, hey, you can't have fun. You can't go play sports. We can do all of those things and glorify God at the same time. I'm asking you, are you urgent about your life? Are you, are you using it for its intended purpose to glorify God, to enjoy Him? So we need Him to teach us um, to actually comprehend all of these things and to take them seriously. And it's after that that we'll be led to His mercy. And we'll cover this point quickly. <clears throat> If you look down from verse 13, Moses cries out, return, O Lord. You know, this is in, in contrast to him saying, return, O children of man, to the God. Moses is saying, return, God, be merciful to us, be kind to us, be generous to us. And he even asks him, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice in your glad Now, verse 14 is, is where we'll sort of end. Um, he says, satisfy us in the morning. In other versions, you'll see it's not, it's not technically the word morning. He's saying, first thing, satisfy us with your steadfast love. As soon as possible, as early as possible, satisfy us with your steadfast love. Give us your mercy. And so the call to us this morning is God will do that. In fact, he's been merciful to us all day long already. And the call to us is to respond early. Don't wait. The best thing that you can do with your time is to respond to him and his mercy and his grace that we find in Jesus Christ. You want to see God's grace? Look at Jesus Christ given to us. You want to see his mercy? Look at Jesus Christ taking on the penalty of sin for us. And he's saying to us, respond early. God is merciful early, and we ought to respond early. We don't have time to waste doing anything else. And it's after that, 
when we make the best use of our time coming to him, that he can make everything that we do worthwhile. We see that in the last couple of verses. He says that you know, even the works of our hands can be of use to him. He can bless anything that we do. And then at the end, after we looked at a life, um, everything will be burnt up in a fire and all that remains, those things that are precious, all of the, the hay and the straw will be burnt up. So there's a call here, friends, this morning to live a life where you are living aware of the reality of sin and judgment, of grace and of mercy, and that you are using your time wisely, that you are using it for the best purpose possible. There are a million and one ways to waste time. We have those opportunities ahead of us today. The call is do not waste time. Come to him. It's the best use of your time. It's the best thing you could do. And he will be your dwelling place forever. Um, let's pray.